carry out and go on with things because it's always been that way. And we even go through life like that. And, well, this is the cycle I'm in now, and that's a cycle. And why are you doing it? I don't know. I'm just here and I'm doing it. Uh, other times, we have intentions on doing things, and then we get sidetracked. And rather than concentrating on the main thing that we're supposed to be doing, we end up doing other things which have really little relevance to what we're supposed to be doing. Why say all of that, Pastor Dan? Well, let me give you some examples, first of all, that I jotted down first uh, to make us think. Uh, have you ever been, this is one that I've had, you're on your way to see somebody, and on your way to see somebody, you run into somebody else, and they start questioning you about something. Oh, i got a question. Can I ask you something? Can I do this? And whatever. And so you start answering those questions, and then i got to go to the bathroom. So... Then I go to the bathroom, and then I'd what? where was I going? What, what was I supposed to do? Or have you ever gone into a room and said, uh, what was I supposed to bring here? Uh, what, what book was I looking for? Um, uh, was I supposed to bring up tea, dear honey? I mean, I went down to the kitchen, and is that what you wanted? Because we get sidetracked, and we forget what in the world we were supposed to be doing. Well, you don't have those problems with memory. So we'll try the wives. How about this? You go to do the laundry, and you're walking to you get prepared to do the laundry, and you walk through a room, and you say, oh, that needs vacuuming. And so you put the stuff in, and then you go vacuuming, and you start vacuuming, and then you notice the chair's broke, and so you've got to mark that down. And all of a sudden, again, you forget what you're doing, and just so we don't leave the kids out, uh, we have the situation where you say, would you go clean your room? No problem, Mom. And you go clean the room, and then you're texting and uh, you're playing video games, uh, you're reading. And then the parent comes in and says, well, did you clean your room? Oh, that's what I came here to do. You know, I'll do it. And we all can, I think, relate to stuff like that, where we get involved in things, we go down avenues, we forget what we're supposed to be doing, and we get sidetracked. Sometimes it isn't that simple. Sometimes it's because we are overwhelmed with everything that we're supposed to do and we just don't know where to begin anymore. Or we get discouraged. We're trying to do something, and just because of the reality of uh, circumstances and changes that take place and things that we didn't anticipate, we get discouraged. You know, is it even worth it? Or, as I said, it's like myself. I come from the pew up here, and I forgot one of the two things I wanted to mention to you. Um, it's not an uncommon situation. You say, what in the world does that have to do with our text? Well, first of all, before we get to Titus, let me mention that that type of thing not only happens to us in regular life, it happens even to the most spiritually minded individuals. The reason for the response of reading, and I won't go back to Acts chapter 18. You can read that on your own, and you just read it out loud as a congregation. But I want to give you some of the surrounding context in what was happening there in Acts chapter 18. It was the Apostle Paul, and he was in Corinth in that text, particularly. And when you look at a number of things around it, he was encouraged at times, but he was also discouraged. And we know that the Apostle Paul was called to preach the gospel. And as you know from the epistles to the Corinthian church, the Corinthian church had all kinds of problems going on. And... They had all kinds of circumstances that should have been handled, and Paul had to address those by way of letters later on. Also, we learn as we compare with the life of Paul and look at some other texts, there were times in which he had everything provided for him, and other times when he was in necessity. And I believe in Corinth that was one of them, because in the text that you read, you find that he goes back to tent making. Because why? He had to meet his needs financially. And even though he was called to preach the gospel, he was also involved in what is commonly referred to as Paul and the tent maker and his ministry. And so was he distracted? I think he was, if you look at the text close enough. But God knew how to encourage him. First of all, he sent some new friends, and that was Aquila and Priscilla that you read about. And they encouraged him, and they were also involved in the same type of trade. And they were also able to encourage him, and Paul gets back to teaching in the synagogue. But he didn't have the zeal that he should have had. How do we know that? 
because it wasn't until old friends came along in that text, and that was Silas and Timothy. And when they came along, then you see that he gets stirred up again and really with a new refreshed zeal got back to what he was supposed to be doing in a greater way. And so even the Apostle Paul, who I believe is a great man of God, he was distracted, he got off track, and he knew what it was like, which is why he's going to send encouragement to Titus. One other one that I will give you that's close by, and then we'll come back to Titus. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Timothy was a great man of God that Paul trusted, and as he trusted him, uh, he had a lot of work and responsibility for Timothy to be carrying out. And yet, Timothy, even as a spiritual man, got discouraged, apparently. Not only discouraged, he certainly became very timid and was afraid of what others either were thinking or saying. And we know that because you got 2 Timothy chapter 1, picking it up in verse 5. <clears throat> in verse 5, he says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, he says to Timothy, which first dwelt in your grandmother, Lewis, uh, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. He's encouraging him. Now watch. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh. It's very appropriate at this time of the year. A lot of you have fireplaces or stoves. And what that is is to stir up the flame again. Stir it up. Get those coals hot again. He says, kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity. He was being timid. He was being drawn away from what he was supposed to be doing. And Paul reminds him, rather than that, God has given you the spirit of power and love and discipline. And so I want you to see that we're no different. We get sidetracked. We get discouraged. We can lose track of things. Paul had done it, as an example. Timothy had done it. And in both cases, they needed encouragement to get back on track. Well, why is that important to our text? If you go back to Titus, that is what was going on with Titus. It is the same thing that is true with him. As we continue on in this letter and we expound the passage to you, we find out that Paul had left Titus with an assignment. And while he was there, he did not finish the business that he was called to do. Titus, for whatever reasons, and we really don't know, we have to surmise because the text doesn't tell us, but he had lost focus. Whether that was because he lost interest, whether it was because of his lack of enthusiasm, or whether it was because, like Timothy, he had become intimidated, and we'll see why this morning, we don't know. But the point was, he needed to get back on course. He needed to be asking himself, why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? Because he had not finished the business that he was called to do. So Paul, as we have already learned in studying the first four verses, has encouraged Titus by focusing on who God is and what God has done in the life of Paul. And now as we come to verse 5 this morning, he's again going to try to encourage him by reminding Titus of what the task is that he had been appointed to do. Why Titus was there and what Titus was supposed to be concentrating on. So Paul tells him in verse 5, as we look at chapter 1 of Titus and come to verse 5 today, he tells him, first of all, to set things in order. If you look at the verse, it says, for this reason... First, he says, I left you. Apparently, Paul had left him there very clearly. And although it's not recorded in the book of Acts, although in Acts 27, you might recall that there was a storm when Paul was traveling to Rome. And when he was traveling to Rome, the book of Acts does record that because of that storm, Paul settled on the Isle of Crete there in Fair Havens, I think it's called, uh, in that area uh, of Crete. 
and it mentions that. But there's no mention of Paul on his missionary journeys having spent any lengthy time or been there on the island of Crete. But apparently, according to this text, he was there and he was there with Titus. But he left them there. He left Titus there with a task because Paul had to move on to what he was primarily called to do. And where are they? They're in the island of Crete. Now, just out of curiosity, has anyone here ever traveled to the island of Crete? No one. Does anyone know where it is? It's not in the Bahamas. It's not where the cruise ship broke down. No, they didn't go there. Mediterranean, right. I thought I'd just give you a, a couple of quick slides. That's not it. It is on there. Okay, hold on. I didn't know that slide was coming up, but the island of Crete is there on the planet, okay? But uh, just to give you a quick quick glimpse, so we know what we're talking about. We, we, we read these things in Scripture. I forgot my pointer. Sorry about that. But you can see it anyway, and it's, and it's right down here. This is the island of Crete, okay? And just to put it in relation, we know where Turkey is, you know where Greece is, and over here was Rome. Would you go to the next slide, please? Just a couple of quick slides. That's kind of tough. This is another reason. There's a project being worked on, folks. This wall is not conducive for that projector. We're trying to change that. But with all of it, you can see there's Egypt, there's Israel over there. You've got Turkey, you've got Greece. It's not that clear. I don't know why. Italy's over here, and right over there is the island of so it's right there in the Mediterranean. It's the, a big island like Cyprus. It's a good-sized island in the Mediterranean. One last slide, if you can go there. That's a little clearer. That's the island, and a lot of those names you can't pronounce anyway because it's not written in English. Uh, and uh, we, we see that uh, some of it is, but you see that that's what the island looked like. And to give you that focus of this island where he, Paul left him, it's about 160 miles long. You can shut that off now. And that's approximately, now what does that mean to us? It's about if we started here and went up to Augusta, Maine, or it's about if we started here and you went the other way approximately. Don't anybody attack me outside if I miss by 5, 10 miles or whatever. But up to Berlin, New Hampshire, it's approximately that. It's, a, it's about 100 miles from here to Plymouth, uh, New Hampshire, to give you a perspective. And I've traveled that many times. And the, the width of it went anywhere from seven miles at one point, we know that's not far, to its widest point on that island was about 35 miles. That's about from here to Boston. Now I know 28 miles, whatever, give or take. So about from here to Boston, to give you an idea, that's the size of this island that Paul has left uh, Titus there to carry it out, carry out his work. It's an imp it was an important commercial stop, as you can see, in the Mediterranean. A lot of the ships would travel through that commercial area, so seagoing and commerce would be carried on as people came into port there. Now, that island had been exposed to the gospel. Would you go with me to Acts chapter 2? Acts chapter 2. Follow this why, Pastor Dan, because we're reading a letter, again, it goes back in time, to see that Paul had gone to this island, key island in the Mediterranean. You get some type of visual concept of that. It is a good-sized island, 135 miles long. And on that island, he had gone there with a task. And this is an island that had been exposed to the gospel. And in Acts chapter 2, I want you to see it on the day of Pentecost. Look at verse 11. In verse 11, it says, what's the first word? Cretans. So on Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them with our own tongues speaking, notice this, the mighty deeds of God. And that led into, if you just jump to verse 14 for a minute, in verse 14 you see, then Peter, or but Peter, taking his stand, now go down to verse 22, he says to them, men of Israel, <coughs> listen, excuse me, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst just as you yourselves know. And he goes on down to verse 36. 
Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, who? Jesus the Nazarene, Jesus of Nazareth. What? Know for certain he's made him both Lord and Christ. He is the Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. And as you know, they were pricked in their heart. So at the time of Pentecost, there were people from this island that were there that had seen the miraculous work in the Holy Spirit's coming. They had heard the sermon of Peter. And why is that significant? Because Peter presented the gospel, the same one that the world needs to hear today. And what is that? The message from God is that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the one sent of God. He is the anointed one. He has been crucified, but he rose from the dead, and it is through him and him alone, not religion, not Fellowship Bible Church, not the Roman Catholic Church, not the Baptist Church, not the Presbyterian Church, not through uh, Jewish uh, religion, not through the Muslims. Religion is not it. It's the person. God sent his son because we are all sinners and have come short of the glory of God. None of us are righteous. No, not one. There is no one who can claim that they are sinless. Oh, they might claim it, but it's not true. Well, how do we get the remedy from that? God had to take the action. He sent his only son into the world. Why? So that by his coming into the world as the sinless one, he could in the crucifixion absorb the consequence of the wages of sin. And it's very vividly pictured in Colossians when it said that our sins were nailed to the tree. And that, all, that text always reminds me of the old cowboy movies where you would see wanted, dead or alive, or the wanted, and there'd be posters in the, the town and other things that this one owes this debt. And how did it get canceled out? It got canceled out by the cross of Jesus Christ, the only one who was sinless, the one who was sent by God. And through that, man can have forgiveness of sins, the gift of eternal life. That is why heaven is not purchased by good works. Heaven is obtained by receiving the free gift of salvation offered by God. Well, these Cretans, who were Jews, had heard this message, and they went back to that island. That's what happened. Paul somehow gave them limited instruction, but apparently they went back, going back to Titus now, they went back to the island of Crete, having heard the gospel, and you've got some of them who had some limited instruction from the Apostle Paul, and they are involved in house assemblies. That is, meeting from house to house, and in several towns on that island. There are several of them there. Consider this, though. While they are believers, they are young believers. They don't have the privilege of having the technology that you and I have. First of all, in print. They didn't have the Bible in print like you and I have. There were certain letters and they were circulating. Not everybody could go to their meeting with a Bible in their hand. They didn't have the technology. They couldn't go to their iPad. They couldn't go to their iPod and just pull up a Bible program and follow the verses along. They had very limited teaching. They were back to their routines of life. And they were just like any other believers, except that they had a new direction in their life now. They were on this island of Crete. They were Jews, which would mean they would be rejected. And so they needed some instruction. That is why Titus was sent. Here they are on this island, away from the mainland, very little teaching, excited because they now know they got this gift of eternal life. They are now rejected by their families because they don't believe, quote-unquote, the way they were brought up. They have the truth, but they don't know what to do with it. And they don't know how to live their daily lives the way they should. And so Paul leaves Titus there as his delegate. And all of that's important because in chapter 1, when he was pointing back to God, you remember verse 1? Look at it. Paul was a bondservant of God. Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he was there to give them the truth according to godliness, verse 1, in the hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie. He not only focused on who God was, but the authority that 
God gave to Paul that was now given to Titus, which is important. Because Titus needed to be stirred up and remember that, yes, I need to remember who God is, but it's true. My mentor had authority from God, and my mentor has given me a task, and I have the authority which came from God and this mentor to carry on this task. And he needed to be encouraged. So he is told right away on the island of Crete, and here's the first part of it again, look at verse 5, that you would set in order what... <coughs> excuse me, remains, set in order. Now, I know that uh, recently somebody politically got corrected because he took a drink of water during his rebuttal on a speech. But you'll excuse me, my mouth is dry. I needed it, okay? And uh, he's told to set things in order. Now, what does that mean, and what are we talking about here? I don't want to make this too deep for you, but I want to make you aware this is a compound word in the Greek, and it comes from two prepositions, the word epi and dia. And it also then comes from a verb that you might recognize, ortho. It's connected to a verb, ortho. And the, all of that to say that the compound word here that is used in the Greek language means to straighten things out. It means that, look it, you are there for a purpose, and you are there to straighten things out. It is where we get our word orthodontist from. That's where it comes from. It comes from this Greek word. Now, a lot of you children, some of you adults, know very clearly what an orthodontist does. He straightens out crooked teeth. That's why people wear braces. That's why you go there. That's what he's saying. He's saying, Titus, you are basically an orthodontist there. You are there with a task. And that is that you are to straighten things out. You ought to straighten the things that are wrong. You ought to straighten the things out that are crooked. What are you talking about? What, what is going on that is, that is crooked? What is going on that is not right? What's the problem? Well, you have independent churches. That's a good thing. How do you know that? Because they're in every city. However, there's no leadership. <coughs> Excuse me. There is no leadership there. And that was part of his job. He was to put leadership. There was, why do you need leadership? There was no accountability. There was no resistance against any false teaching that would come in. And I want to say right away that that is offensive often to people. The whole concept of leadership, the whole concept of authority. But further, there was another problem there. I'll come back to that uh, leadership. The other problem were, was that in those cities, there were rebellious men. How do we know that? Look at verse 10. Look at Titus chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. For there are many rebellious men. Watch. He goes on. Empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, are Jews, who must be silenced. Notice that. They've got to be stopped. Why? Because they are upsetting whole families. How are they doing that? Teaching things they should not teach. Why did they do that? For the sake of sordid gain. You don't think that problem exists today? That some of these characters on TV and some of these characters on the radio are after one thing, and that is money under the name of religion? That is dominant today. But that's a lot of what people want. And they're teaching things that are causing people confusion. Well, at this island, small island, young believers, little teaching, they were upsetting and confusing believers by deceiving them, by sending in false teachers, people who were lovers of money, not lovers of God. There were also people on that island who were saying they were believers and they were not. How do we know that? Verse 16, look at it. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless from any good deed or for any good deed. That's a pretty good description. Paul is saying to Titus, you need to straighten things out. 
There's a number of independent churches, but there's no leadership. You need to straighten things out because people have come in there and they're after your money. They don't care about you. People have come in there that are false teachers. I don't know why, but I can see people putting on jackets and I have air conditioning blowing on me right now. So if somebody can check that out, something's wrong with the heat. Okay? My apologies. That's part of the message now because it's on tape and it's got nothing to do with the context. But anyway, getting back to you. So you've got these false teachers, and also now you've got people who are saying, I'm born again, I'm a Christian, and then their lives don't line up with it. All it is is profession. You think we have that around today? I think we have a lot of that around today. Oh, I'm a Christian. Really? Why do you live that way? Why are you living in in immorality? Why are you always drunk? Why are you on drugs? Is that the way a godly person lives? And then they're confusing even the unsaved because they say, you say you belong to Christ and you live a life that way? And I'm showing you all of this before we study these verses to help you to see when Paul simply says, straighten out the things that remain. Well, what was crooked? All of this was crooked. The discussions that we're having, now listen to this one, another problem. The discussions that the people were having were not even profitable. I'm talking about the believers. What are you talking about, Pastor Dan? Go to chapter 3 of the book of Titus. Look at verse 9. See if this sounds like today. Chapter 3, verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies. Avoid it. And genealogies. And strife and disputings about the law. For they are unprofitable and worthless. What was happening on the island of Crete? You even had people in the name of Christ that were more involved in useless things that don't amount, as we would say, to a hill of beans. Such as what? He says genealogies. You ever hear this one? All right. Smarty, where did Cain get his wife? And it's supposed to be brilliant. That's not a very difficult question, by the way. But people are bogged down in those things. Or they go in the law. What do you mean? They're they're disputing things in the law, which they know nothing about. All right, how far can you walk on the Sabbath day? Does that go on today? Absolutely. People are bogged down in the things that don't amount to a hill of beans. And they're talking about that rather than concentrating on things that build up godliness that build up a love for God, that truly change people from the inside out to make them the people that they should be. And everything else is all surface. That's the island of Crete. And so Paul, with all of those problems going on, says to him, and here's the point going back to chapter 1, verse 6, he says, straighten it out. What's remaining there? Get those crooked teeth back into place, if you will. Get the believers back on course. That's what I put you there for. Why are you there, Titus? You're not there for a vacation, as nice as the island of Crete might be. You are not there for sightseeing. You are not there to be timid because all these problems are going on. You have been there and set there for a purpose, and that purpose is to correct the problems. Is there application? I think so. Let me ask you personally, going back to our initial questions, why are you doing what you're doing? Are you doing what God wants you to do? Or have you lost focus? Have you got sidetracked? Are you paying attention? Am I paying attention to the right things, the things that really matter? Let me really risk going all out. And probably I'm talking to the choir, so to speak, today because you guys made it out in this weather. But I think it's still worth asking. Why do you come to church? You say, what's the matter with this guy? He doesn't want us to come to church. It's not true. But have you ever asked yourself, why am I coming? I spent some 25 years of my life going to church because I was told to. 
because I thought I would have mortal sin if I didn't go there. Not because I wanted to go. There's people that go to people that go to churches like this. They have no idea why they're going. They just go because I guess I'm supposed to do something religious. That's not why you go to church. Why are you living out your life the way you are? Well, because that's, I guess, what I'm supposed to do and then die. Really? We need to get things into focus. If you're a professional, especially if you're a professing Christian, are you living for God? Are you sharing the gospel? These are things that you are called to do. No matter what else you're doing in life, if you are a professing Christian and that profession is real, you are definitely called primarily to live a godly life. You are definitely called to share the gospel. Oh, you might not stand in a pulpit. Not that you can't. But you are called to share the gospel. You are definitely called to be exercising your spiritual gifts. Are you even doing that? If you're not doing that, you're not even doing the primary things. All you're doing is caught up in a lot of things, losing focus. We can do that very easy. You say, well, none of that pertains to me. I don't even, I'm not even a believer. Why are you here in life? Why are you here? I'm not talking about in this church. It's the question, why am I here? Well, I don't believe God created the world. It doesn't matter what you believe. He did. Well, I just believe we evolved. Well, that's kind of silly. But you can believe it. You didn't. That's why you don't look like a monkey. Or you don't look like a giraffe. Or you don't look like a frog. Because God created you in the image and likeness of his son. You say, but... You know, I don't believe that there's life after death. You will, because you are going to die. Why? Because that's the way life goes. No, I'm going to tell you why. Because God said the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. All who are in the graves will come forth. Some to resurrection of life, and some to damnation. Is there a real hell? Yes. And you've heard my illustration before. There's people, and it's kind of dangerous to use this in today's day and age, but there's people that sometimes you point a gun at them and they, I don't believe it's real. You pull the trigger, they find out it is. There are those who don't believe that there's life after death, but when they die and are faced with the reality of death, they will find out there is. Why are you here? I can tell you. To glorify God. How do I do that? by believing on his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can have forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. That's what you're called to do. Not just produce children, that's a great thing. Not just to have a good marriage, that's a great thing. Not just to have a job and earn funds, all of that will perish. Your soul will not, the real you. It's interesting, many times I go to a funeral and you hear at the funeral, this person will always be with us. You know there's some truth in that. Because as many people as I've brought to a graveyard and watched them, or been in a ceremony where there's been a cremation, that's just the physical body. The real person, and I say that, is now either with the Lord or in the presence of the Lord to be dealt by him because the real person will never die, according to the word of God. And you better be thinking about eternal things, because it's real. What about as a church? You know, just like, you know, this is Titus. He's told that he's to get things in order because they were crooked, and he was just caught up into things. That's exactly what we've tried to do, by the Whoa, I don't know what happened there. What we tried to do, by the way, in evaluating every year at this church. We could be playing church. There are churches that all they do is have services the same time, all the time, same way, all the time, and do everything. Why? Because it's tradition. And you dare change the name of Sunday school to <laughs> Sunday morning Bible studies. You dare change anything else, and everything lets loose. Why did we do that? 
because we honestly, as a church and your church leadership, wanted to evaluate our teaching programs to see how they could be more effective. Our prayer time to see how it could be more effective. Our teaching ministries in every way, our services to see how they would be more effective. Why? Because there's no sense in just doing things for the sake of doing them. What are we to be doing? Making disciples, all of us. Baptizing those who come to Christ. And teaching. That is the way you straighten things out. That is the way we ought to do it. Where do we start? Well, for Titus, he was to start by the second instruction. Titus was to straighten out those matters that were going on. And it all began with the first thing back in verse 5, the end of the verse and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. That's why you're there, Titus. You need to straighten things out because there's problems. And if in our own life we find out there's problems, well, then straighten it out. Don't let it go on. That's why you go to an orthodontist. Don't let the teeth keep turning that way. You'll regret it later. If you in your spiritual life know things aren't right, don't waste your life and let it keep going that way. Straighten it out. In this particular case, it was to point elders. Structure and leadership. As I said earlier, and I, I said I'd come back to it, we resist structure. We don't like authority. We don't like bosses. We don't like government. We don't like it, especially when it comes to a church and a hierarchy system. I don't blame you. I came out of that. And because of that, though, sometimes as Christians, we think any type of structure is wrong when it comes to a church. And in our day and age, and in this country, the United States of America, the modern-day view is everybody is equal. That's foolish. That's foolish. We're not equal in intelligence. We're not equal in economics. We're not equal in abilities, but we're told everybody's equal. Fairness is thrown around as a concept. So socially, we don't want any rich and we don't want anybody poor. Everybody's supposed to be the same. Who are you kidding? That's not reality. What about the family? And I'm, I'm sh showing you that it affects our society today. Everybody's the same. Well, we're all human beings. Everybody's equal as a human being. But now everybody wants to be the husband and everybody wants to be the wife. And children, children direct the home or the husband directs the home or the wife and there's all kinds of confusion. Why did God give order to that? Because God saw that structure was needed. Why do you have a boss at work? Because there needs to be some structure and accountability. Everybody has their rights. It's so backwards. Rather than being thankful we're getting a paycheck, we go to our boss and say, I have rights, you know. Yes, yeah, so do I. You're fired. Oh, wait a minute. You see? We need structure. The same thing is true in the church. God has always had structure. Let me give you some examples in, in, the, in showing us the necessity for leadership. Adam, right away. Abraham. Moses, David, the nation of Israel. Within the nation of Israel, he had leaders. His apostles, such as Paul, and in the church. God has always had leadership. Why? Be as part of accountability, as part of a pattern. This is the pattern that Paul set, the concept of putting elders in a church. Go with me to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. Look at verses 21 to 23. Paul's on his journeys, and it says here in verse 21, after they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. Straightening, isn't that interesting? Strengthening, excuse me, strengthening. I got straightening in my mind. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, 
that, watch this, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. When they, verse 23, had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed and fasted, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. What did he do? His pattern was to appoint churches, uh, appoint elders in the churches. Why? For protection, for accountability, for care. And that's what Titus was supposed to be carrying on. And that's what should be happening in churches today. Elders should be appointed. Why? For leadership, for protection, for accountability, because it's God's style, not just because you want a hierarchy system. And I want to make a couple of comments. Go back to Titus chapter 1 before we close today. Because in Titus chapter 1, we see, notice this. He was to appoint elders. The word elder there, and I'm going to save this a little bit because when he talks about an overseer soon and he, and he deals with some other words there, you're going to see the interchangeableness, so I'll wait for that. But let me just say this. It did imply some level of maturity, this word. And it did imply age, experience. They were not appointing priests. They were not appointing cardinals. They were not appointing popes. They were not employed, listen, they were not to appoint the congregation. They were to appoint leaders, elders. Second part of it is not only were they mature and to be experienced to some degree and aged to some degree, but notice plurality, elders, plural. Now, while there's some debate because it's elders in every city, I think it's very consistent with Scripture that you find, and we will see that as we progress in the text later, that the elders is plural. It's not designed by God to be one man. This is not Pastor Dan's church. There is no one man that's to be the head of anything. There is no room for something like the Pope. It is to be led by a group of men called elders, plurality, so there is no dictatorship, so that it's done right. Notice that they are appointed also. Titus was to appoint them. They were to be selected, not elected. Let me say that again. They were to be selected, not elected. They were to be appointed. Oftentimes we've had that discussion even in this church over its history and so forth. Well, we elect. We don't elect anyone. We try to use wisdom in coming to the congregation because of what we will learn in coming weeks to see if there's any problem that anyone has that we're not aware of in a man's life. But technically, elders are appointed. They're not elected position. This isn't a popularity contest. This has nothing to do with personality. This has nothing to do with popularity. Now, why am I saying all of this? First of all, because it's in the text so we understand what the text is saying. But secondly, because that is the world today. People are standing in pulpits because of personality. People are standing in pulpits because they were elected by the people and they like them. We like the way this one dresses. We like the way this one looks. We like the way this one's family uh, does this or does that. So we think they should be the pastor. Lord willing, we're going to see in weeks ahead that is absolutely not the way a person is chosen to be an elder. Not at all. They are appointed, and it should be plural. I want you to notice this also. It says they are to be appointed in every city. I think that's significant. Why? Independent churches. He doesn't establish a denomination. He doesn't say, let's establish a denomination where there is a hierarchy system that's over every city. That's foolishness. I personally believe that. Now, do we have that today? Everywhere. Everywhere. Where there's denominations, where there's a head of the denomination over this and over that. I think what he's saying is that you are to straighten things out, all those problems he talked about, and it begins by appointing putting in, not by election, but by appointment, men in every city. 
There are to be elders over a church here, elders over a church there, elders over a church here, not elders over the island of Crete. That's independent churches run by local, if you will, government. Why? That's part of God's design. That's how the local church is to function, where we know one another, where the men that are going to be the elders in leading will know the flock, will be able to minister to the needs. That's how Fellowship Bible Church is supposed to function. That is why it's important to attend. That's why it's important to be around. Why? So we get to know you better, so when you're out of work, we can minister to you. So you, when you're in the hospital, we can care for you. And I say that with this very important aspect. Listen carefully. I've encouraged, especially in recent messages, the fact that to build up your Christian life, you should be reading other Christian material. You should be listening to other Christian teachers. You should. But we are in a day and age in which many do not come out to the local church anymore. And you know why? Because they're listening to this speaker or that speaker on the radio or TV or through podcasting or whatever you want to get into, streamlining and all the stuff, that the technology, and it's wonderful technology. But I'm going to tell you something. God's design is for leadership and for you to be a part of a church that you can function in together and we can get to know you. You can't call upon, let me talk about a, a speaker just that came into my mind, because many people listen to Charles Stanley. You can't call Charles, you, you might be able to get Charles Stanley, but he's not going to come over and visit you in the hospital. He's not going to come and help you to minister to your children who are rebellious. He's not going to be able to come to your home and pray. Now, I just happen to pick on him. You can name any speaker. And, and we could go all the way down the gamut in, in the, the speakers that people are listening to today. It's wonderful to listen to them. And it's wonderful to learn from them. But that's why he was to establish elders in every city. Because part of the protection of those people, part of the care had to come from the leadership who knew them and who could minister to them. And a very common concept today is that I don't need organized church anymore. I don't need to go there. I can get everything I want by social media. You will until there's a crisis in your home or in your personal life. And then you will find out those people on the radio and TV are very little help to you. Does that mean you should not listen? That is not what I said. I encourage you to listen. I encourage you to listen to other voices. I encourage you to study other things. You should be doing that. But God brought you to Fellowship Bible Church, folks, so that you can minister as a body here and you can have local leadership here that can care for you and want to get to know you, not because they're trying to find out everything that goes on in your life, so that they can meet the needs and be the leaders that they should be over the flock and so that you can be cared for the way you should be cared for and prayed for and mentored. It is not the idea of establishing those churches. And I will say it at this time, but that doesn't give the right, we'll deal with that in time, but to have the men that are in those positions in el as elders to lord over anybody. 1 Peter 5 makes that very clear. Elders are simply appointed, and they have a responsibility. And every elder, I stand here as a pastor in this church, and other elders are in this audience sitting among you, and we are equals. And we will stand before God and give an account for the way we shepherd this flock. It is a tremendous responsibility. It's a frightening one. But you stand responsible. Because it even says in Scripture that you are to get to know those who are your elders among you. You are to be ministering to them so that they would do it with joy for your benefit. And Titus was on this island of Crete and needed to get the people back into focus on that. They were scattered throughout the island. And they needed in each one of the towns to be able to have leadership over them, chosen leadership. How do you choose that? That's coming. But chosen leadership so that they could be cared for, protected, 
and everything could be in order the way it should be. That's what he was called to do. He was called to straighten things out. He had to be reminded of why he was on the island of Crete. And you know what? By the reminder, Titus is going to get back to it. I think we need reminders from time to time. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Am I doing what I'm doing? Are my priorities right in my family? Am I being the father, the husband I should be? Am I being the Christian I should be? Am I functioning in the local church as a member of the body of Christ? Am I witnessing? Am I exercising my gifts, those things we talked about earlier? Am I making disciples? Am I encouraging people to be baptized? Are we doing that as a church? We need to get back to that stuff. We need to be doing it the right way. And again, I close with the fact, if you don't know Christ, I guarantee you, I know why you're here. You're here because God wants you to know him. And the way you will come to know him is through his son. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever, and that includes you, would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There isn't anybody that comes unto my Father who is in heaven but by me. The only way to heaven is through the cross of Jesus Christ. It is through him. And when you get that into focus, then you will be able to function primarily the way God wants you to. Might we all examine ourselves and to see where, where would God have us to straighten out those things that remain, to get them in order. For Titus, it was to start appointing leadership. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for the challenge that Paul gave to Titus. Here he was on this island of Crete. You had done a miraculous work in bringing people to salvation, but there were so many things that were crooked, so many things that were out of line. And Titus had forgotten what he was called to do. But I thank you that you encouraged him through Titus, uh, through Paul, you encouraged Titus to straighten out those matters, to appoint leadership, so that false teachers could be put down, so that the word of God could go forth with power, so that professing believers who were living ungodly not lives could be called on the copper and challenged, so that the gospel could be preached and others on that island of Crete would come to know Christ. Father, often we get so busy that we forget why we're doing what we're doing or what we're supposed to be doing. I pray you'd help us all to examine our priorities. Father, time is so short. We say that all the time to our children. But Father, as time goes by, we're closer and closer to the day that we will leave this world and be in your presence. With whatever time we have left, help us to use it in a wise way to be doing the things that you've called us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.